The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and happy Valentine's Day to everybody. I'm your host, Vince Rocco. You are listening to Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, February 14th here in New York City, and I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. If you want to call into the program today, Today you can one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. That's one eight six six. Four seven two five seven eight eight. We'd love to take your call and we'd love to talk to you. We are going to talk today about co-ops and condos in New York City, their differences, whether it's price, whether it's size, whether it's location, whatever it is, uh, building amenities. But first, we're going to talk about some news items. Trump Tower has bargains. If you don't mind the security lockdown currently at the building, brokers are getting more calls, but not necessarily more tenants for rentals or sales in the president's real estate tower that's under tight control by the New York police. Police Department. Living at Manhattan's Trump Tower comes with lots of extras, beefed up security in the lobby, bag searches, guest visit scrutiny, and a change in food delivery options, and the ability to say you share a home address with the U.S. President. Can you imagine your hamburger can't get delivered at night without issue? Donald Trump built this tower more than three decades ago and made it the crown jewel of his real estate portfolio, but apartments at the Trump Tower are facing the same challenges as the rest of New York's luxury apartment market, where rents and sales prices have been down and so not and so not many buyers or renters want to live with constant attention crowds and the fear of terrorism at this building let's see where it all goes in the future Moving on, David Geffen's insurance company filed suit on Monday against two construction companies involved in the protracted renovation of the entertainment mogul's Fifth Avenue penthouse, (laughs) claiming the contractor's shoddy work caused more than $1 million in damages to his home. AIG claims in the Manhattan Supreme Court that uh, his contractors and architects caused the $1,049,000 in damages to Geffen's sprawling abode when water leaked from drain pipes on the roof of the building into his lower floors. The DreamWorks co-founder owns the 17th, 18th, and 19th floors of the luxury co-op on 5th Avenue at East 60th Street. Condé Nast publishing chief Anna Wintour tried desperately several years ago to block the construction of a condo at 178 Bleecker Street because she didn't want it to block the light over her patch of green in the McDougal Sullivan Gardens. Only Anna. The good news is that in the end, it doesn't. Two condos in the building dubbed Dolce are currently on the market, and they include private terraces with garden views, a two-bedroom, fourth-floor uh, home asking 3.6 million dollars while a duplex penthouse is available for 5.75 when tour has resided at 172 sullivan street since 1992 
The Hudson Valley posted its best real estate sales results since the post-recession recovery period that commenced in 2011. According to the Hudson Gateway Multiple Listing Service, realtors reported 18,145 closings of residential transactions comprising single-family houses, condominiums, co-ops, and two- to four-family houses. This was a 12.5% increase over 2015's total of 16,126 sales. The fourth quarter numbers came following a sluggish first half of the year, although fourth quarter closings largely resulted from marketing activity and contracts signed in late summer and autumn months. The luxury building boom that has ended, that has added rather hundreds of high-end condos to the New York City market may have done more than attract foreign buyers and assure New York City's place among best bets for real estate investment. It may also have detracted uh, from a storyline that better reflects the aspirations of many New Yorkers who aren't multimillionaires but are simply looking for an affordable place to live. In other words, a majority of New Yorkers want a bargain at the lowest price possible. So, most search properties in all five boroughs are between $400,000 and $600,000. Most competitive price ranges in Manhattan and Queens are between two hundred and four hundred and four hundred to six hundred. Most competitive price range in Brooklyn is $400,000 to $600,000, and listings between $1 million and $2 million translate into the greatest number of potential buyers who contact listing agents or brokers in all boroughs. Overall, New Yorkers are searching for relatively affordable homes and hoping to find a deal or a bargain. The most competitive price ranges are the same for Manhattan and Queens and about the same, though on a higher end of the spectrum, in Brooklyn. This may be surprising to some who would assume that Manhattan would be much higher than Queens or Brooklyn. And in the Bronx and Staten Island, there wasn't enough data to draw a conclusion. Uh, and finally, air rights became pricier in Manhattan in 2016 as the dollar transaction volume rose despite a dip in the number of deals. Uh, developers paid $292 per square foot on average for air rights, up from $277 in 2015, according to the New York Post. The number of air rights uh, deals fell to 31 from 51 in 2015, but the aggreg- aggregate sum paid rose to $469.2 million. Uh, up from $434.6 million. This is air rights, everybody. Unbelievable. We just anyway. closed at uh, 15 Hubert Street, $500 a foot for air rights. Wow. 500 My wow. God. You may want to explain well, try air back rights that, yeah. to people. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Air, air rights are the air rights. <laughs> air rights are uh, buildable space on top of buildings. If, for, for example, if you've got a six-story building, a ten-story building, whatever, there's a certain amount of um, what is it F-A-R, called? FAR area ratio that can be built on top of or added to. Um, there are height restrictions and code Correct. compliance, but they have to be touching the adjacent building. It cannot be across the street. So. That's how the opportunities for projects to be and, elevated. And and these prices, as you just said, five hundred dollars per wow. foot in Tribeca. I mean, it's 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 significant. I have a developer friend of mine who I That's sold for a his private building. Home. Correct. Uh, oh, all right, there you go. But anyway, he made awesome. a lot of money just selling air rights in in his in his local area on Central Park South. So I mean, they're very um, significant. Are we here. talking about cubic foot? Because it's, uh, I mean, you're talking about air rights, space above something. Yeah, so yeah. it must be the volume, not, I mean, right? Yeah, so, so it must that's be like cubic foot area. Floor area ratio, right, what right. is buildable? So if it's like right. six out of 10 is what it's built, then there's four out of 10 that you could build, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, let's just say 4,000. Right. Or, you know, then you could do the math from there. But it's a very interesting contest. Anyway, I'm here with the panel today Matthew Cohen from CORE, 
Real Estate, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead Property, Phil Horrigan, leasebreak.com, and Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential. We're going to talk, as I said today, about co-ops and condos and why they uh, why condos are more expensive than co-ops. When you start your apartment search in a specific neighborhood, you begin noticing some pretty wild price swings between similarly priced apartments. While there are numerous factors that can obviously influence this, one of the primary drivers behind apartment pricing revolves around the building type. On a price per square foot basis, condos are generally more expensive than co-ops. On the surface, you might be confused about why this is the case, but rest assured, just like everything related to the world of New York City real estate, the fact that condos trade at a significant premium to co-ops can be explained uh, here now. There will be um, many, many differences of opinion because, you know, of course, people set out they want to... um, not a very expensive apartment, so they're going to be looking at co-ops because they are cheaper than condos. And then others are going to set out looking for a condo because they want to have the flexibility of renting it out or subleasing, etc. So we're going to kind of break down all the the different points. There are actually five points. Let me just read through them and then we'll we'll talk about it. Number one, co-op supply is high. Condo supply is low. Number two, condo demand extends beyond the local market. Number three, co-ops have strict subleasing policies. Number four, condos are generally either newer building conversions or newer buildings ground up. And five, condos have more liquidity than co- uh, than co-ops. So these are the five factors that we want to impress upon the buyers out there today who may not know about the differences between co- condos and co-ops. And in particular, in New York City, you have the housing stock is, I think, still around 80 or uh, 75% co-op, and the balance is condo. So there's a significant amount of co-op still out there, and there are major differences. Louise, go ahead. I think that one of the things you should start off with is understanding the actual housing market, the availability of it. It We are a, a city of renters, and so mm-hmm. you only have a 39% opportunity of um, purchasing and acquiring, 1% of that is townhouses, 25% are co-ops, and then you only have 12% for condos. Um, And to define what the differences are, remember when you're buying a condo, you're buying real property. It's the brick and mortar. And when you're buying in a co-op, you're buying shares of a business. And um, there are additional closing costs, but you also don't have in condominiums underlying mortgages. So the carrying costs are typically different. Um, you know, we I have found that the resale market in the co-op pre-war market where you have restrictions like no wet areas over dry, no through the wall mm-hmm. air conditioning, no dogs, people don't want to tolerate that anymore. And I'm um, going through that now. However, mm-hmm. I think finding the right home and one I think many agents get short sighted trying to put people in a box saying only buy it, look at condos. If you can afford, you look for what you love. I live in a co-op. Um, in a perfect world, I'd love to live in a condo, but it really, to me, it's about the right home. Can I just uh, <clears throat> add to that? One of my favorite conversations with new buyers is they come in and go, oh, I definitely want a condo. I've heard nightmares about co-ops. I don't want to go near co-ops. And then you're usually, as a broker, you're usually like, well, not so fast. You know, Once they start realizing that, as we talked about, most of the inventory out there for sales is co-op. And the price is significantly less in most situations. And the closing costs are less for co-op. They start to come around usually. So I've had so many buyers, I'm sure we all have, that start out saying, I only want a condo, and they wind up buying a co-op. And I, I, I'm going to just, sorry, and I'll keep my mouth quiet, but um, <laughs> no, I don't, don't like it when 
when brokers talk price per square foot. I have a whole mm-hmm. negotiations within my own team. Me too. Where, yep. you know, Jonathan, hi, Jonathan, will literally say, well, that's 1600 bucks a foot. That's a little too much for that co-op. And I was like, no, I don't want to talk about price per square foot. It does work for the condo. I can talk about price <clears throat> per share in some cases, depending on the allocation of the shares, because there is a relationship to to how the allocation of shares are done. And, it's, and especially with the fact that legally we are not allowed to disclose the exact square footage of a co-op, even though some brokers who do not abide by the rules so well um, do it, that also is why you shouldn't do a price per square foot on a co-op, I just believe. Like, I don't think that right. that's the way you comp it out. But um, I also think that the co-op condo conversation becomes very interesting, just just like everything we speak about, in a less of a generalization and more of a neighborhood-specific, because I know, obviously, Deb it, he handles the Upper East a lot, and there's a ton of co-ops on the Upper East as opposed to maybe Luis who handles Tribeca a lot, you know, and Tribeca is filled with mostly condos, I would say. So I think, you know, it's also area specific. Uh, we only have about a minute left before break. I just want to make a comment. You know, uh, both of you touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, when I first came into the business, you know, I, I didn't understand necessarily what price per square foot was. But even though we don't want to talk about price per square foot in a co- in a co-op, because we don't also don't quote the size of of co-op, you know, floor space, uh, square footage, people buyers will always take you there. So I, you know, in the beginning of my career, fifteen years ago, it was always a struggle to kind of figure out or understand. All right. I don't want to talk about price per square foot. I don't want to talk about necessarily the size of the apartment in numbers. I want to, you know, have how my it feels. How my yeah, I want my clients to, to walk in. It's a visual thing. It's how it feels. It's the floor space that can mm-hmm. work for you or not. Yes. I don't care if it's 50 feet larger or smaller. But what I found in the very early part of my career was that buyers would always want to take me there. As you said, Louise, it's easier when you're talking about a, a, a condo because that's in the offering plan. The square footage is, is documented. Everybody knows and what it is. But but it isn't. So we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. We'll we come back come after back. the break. And yeah, we'll, I have we'll, some. I'll give you I have a lot to say. I'll that. give you the first uh, break. There, we're listening to Good Morning New York on the uh, Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The best part of being a real estate agent is in serving my clients, not just their transaction. This includes sometimes advising them not to sell if it'll improve their quality of life. Once a client decided to move out of New York City to get closer to family and they were inclined to sell, I convinced them to lease their home instead. They were shocked that I was willing to take a smaller commission for a smaller project, but after a couple of years, their home nearly doubled in value. I'm John Harrison with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Matthew Cohen, Niall Lundgren, Louise Phillips-Forbes, Phil Harrigan, and Deborah Hoffman, and we're talking about the differences uh, between co-ops and condos. And Louise, you wanted to make a point. Oh, Lord, where were we? Um, no, I, <laughs> Price I, per square foot, size well, of apartments, well, visual I, I, versus I, not. I, I will say that, you know, I have gotten into a habit. First of all, I think it's important that many brokers don't understand that defining how um, a condominium measures their square footage is important. Very important. Because it's usually from the inside of the outside wall. So when you're dealing with a 19... 19- 10 or 1885 building mm-hmm. where you have you know sheer walls that are 36 inches deep then you're paying for that real estate mm-hmm. secondly you're not walking on it because it's not floor space sec- but you're paying secondly for it. i've got, gotten in the habit of with a disclaimer saying listen my floor plan guy measured this he's created the floor plan and these are his this is what he says mm-hmm. it's it, the square footage is whether it's 22 17 and i'm like so it's not it 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 is as accurate as I could be. Um, and I just think it's important to be as transparent as you can instead of that smarmy, like, we're not allowed to. I don't like to So, So what that. would you say, Louisa, if someone I'm comes saying, into one of your co-ops and they I'm say, saying, hey, listen, hey, you know, I, I want to know the square footage of this. What do you think it is? I, I, I offer the facts of what I know, mm-hmm. and then I talk about what it feels to me based on my experience. I said, in the history, if I go into history – this apartment says that it is everywhere from 1700 to 1400. My instinct is it's probably 15. Mm-hmm. And that and that response is so appreciated by the layman. Yeah. I like to if that conversation comes up when, you know, a buyer's in the apartment and I'm yeah. selling it, I like to just go with the approximately term. Love that term, use it over and over and I'm like approximately 1200 square feet. Do you have a disclaimer in there and say, "Hey, well, I kind of do the same thing as Luis does, which like with our floor plan people, they, you know, have vouched for us that it's approximately this. And I kind of try and quickly go to something else because yeah. they'll they'll usually, I always think that the conversation goes from square footage to the last apartment that's sold in the building. Yeah. And right. then, and I like to just say, well, here were the differences between the last apartment and this apartment. Sure. I do the same thing, but off, 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 um, during the break, Deborah and I were just chatting about something else, but sometimes, and as I said earlier, the buyers are going to take you back there and they're going to pin you down too. But I do, I do need to know what the, the what the square footage of this place is because they in their head then will go home and figure out what the price per square foot is. And then and it also depends on the type of buyer. I think financial people, you know, banker types who are very spreadsheet oriented and who are very into numbers, they're going to want those specifics more than you know anybody else who's who's just basically looking at an apartment. Price feels right size or space feels right, and they're going to go with it. When I'm, when I'm doing a pricing analysis on behalf of a buyer. I disagree somewhat in the sense that we always do the square footage analysis. However, what we do is we apply the same exact framework to every single apartment. So we'll actually look at all the other ones in the building and apply that same framework so we could compare on a price per square foot I basis. Agree with that. So we yeah. and I it helps so much because I cannot tell you how many times things just are not priced well or they're way overpriced. Yeah. And it a lot of it has to do with the incorrect square footages that are listed by Correct. other brokers in the history. Mm-hmm. And on the last point on what do you say to a buyer when they mm-hmm. come to your open house and you're representing a seller, what I usually do, I love Louise's point because I, I do something very similar. It depends if it serves your seller. So again, your fiduciary in that case is to the seller. So depending on who, if it's going to serve my seller's interest, I may say, 
well, it's been advertised in the past at X, if I know that that number may help. And again, that's true, and it's something in the history, so I'm not representing the, few, the, the current situation. I'll say, look, we can't talk about it. However, it has been advertised at this in the past. Again, if that helps my seller. If it doesn't help my seller, I may change my well, answer. Right. Ju- ju- just, just to be clear, even <laughs> if we're representing the buyer, our fiduciary responsibility is still to the seller. It may not be our listing, but it's still to the seller. So, you know, we're sort of caught in that quagmire of, of you know, what do I do and what do I say? But you mean also, when you're representing, I'm sorry, when you're representing, when you're a, buyer, representing a buyer, you still have fiduciary responsibility to the seller by I, Department of State rules. I think it depends. Um, it depends because if you're, if you have your buyer's hat on, as we all know from our disclosure, you do, you're representing the buyer. But if you have, um, if it, you're working for the same brokerage firm, that's where it gets tricky. If it's like, say, well, that's, yeah. you know, say you. Well, this is a different discussion. <laughs> right. But I'm that's saying that's gets talk, tricky. But because that, yes. that would then be, yes. that could then be dual agency mm-hmm. in that case. Mm-hmm. But, but generally, Vince, if you're, rep- if you're a, representing a buyer, you have your buyer has on, your fiduciaries to that buyer. Yeah, but I think it's also, guys, I mean, when we are in this process, we're in a business of people. And, you know, I create spreadsheets, literally, like, give me your wish list mm-hmm. when you start. And you lo- start to look from, if somebody's data-driven, that's going to be part of it, a, a, you know, a good value. But but it's also making sure that a data-driven individual remembers that while this is an investment, it's also your home. Mm-hmm. And yes. that, you know, when you're checking off the box, if you have 13 boxes to check off light, how it feels, how the doorman greets you, how the hallways feel, mm-hmm. you know, those are all important parts of a mm-hmm. holistic um, mm-hmm. approach. Ooh, this is going to be fun. Um, I agree with part of that. So I agree where, you know, if an apartment comes up like two weeks ago, one of my clients who we've been looking for a year and they like a lot of properties, but it's not, you know, perfect, perfect. And even though there's nothing perfect ever in this city, ever. you know, we want to get as close as possible and they don't have to buy. So of course we just want to make it as great as possible. And we found it, uh, two weeks ago and they offered way above asking. And when you find that thing that matches all of the terms the that emotional. you're looking for, yes. price per square foot goes out the window. I'm sorry, it just does. But where I completely just not disagree, but I take it a very different way. Um, a few months ago, one of my clients who I've helped buy in the past was buying for their primary instead of investment. And he gave me a spreadsheet of everything you wanted. And I said to him, you throw that out or you use another broker. <laughs> and um, so that's where I disagree. I just think that you have to, if it's for a primary, like this is There's too a, a shoe that fits all. <laughs> exactly. Right? And yes. Luis is an amazing broker for so many different reasons. And this is why we're all different. But I, I think that you have to take things by year and see things in person and not judge them on just like an online listing. Because if you have a spreadsheet, you're going to naysay an apartment from maybe just looking at it online. And if you go and see it in person, you might love it. Right. And it might be completely different. I'm going to so. correct a little bit. That particular individual <laughs> mm-hmm. was data driven and I needed to create all of his wish list. That's, I do not do yeah. that for every person yeah. because people are or, you know, absolutely no, correct. That's why I said there are different types of buyers who come out there in the For marketplace sure. to do different things. Let's move on to the, the point that says condo demand extends beyond the local market. So let's talk about foreign buyers. Now, we all know, well, most of the listeners may not know, but in this town, it's very difficult for foreign buyers to buy into co-ops. Foreign buyers, for the most part, are investors. Co-ops run for the hills when it comes to investors. Let's break that down a little bit for the listening audience out there who does not understand the difference between a co-op buy and a condo buy where a foreign investor is getting involved. 
Well, the main reason is, and it's actually pretty simple, is a co-op is a private corporation. And let's say you're having financial reasons, or let's say a foreign buyer has to go back to wherever their country is, and they really don't care about the property that much. If you're having financial problems, you're going to pay everything that shows up on your credit report. You're going to pay your mortgage, you're going to pay your con ed bill, your electricity bill, your utilities, everything that shows up. Your maintenance payments, because it's a private corporation, does not show up on a basic credit report. So we saw this during the financial downturn, and I know on the Upper East Side, a number of buildings went into a lot of financial problems because people stopped paying their maintenance bills. And this is the fear of a lot of buildings with foreign buyers. It's that basic. But but so, I also will mm-hmm. say that I have a tremendous portion of my business to individuals mm-hmm. who have green cards who've been here for a decade mm-hmm. and that's different and and they are buying a home. But so they're buying I, a home. It, that's it, that's yeah. different. And, yeah. and 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 yes, mm-hmm. they may get relocated back to London mm-hmm. or to Asia, but they in fact want to buy mm-hmm. in the market, mm-hmm. whether it's a condo or a co-op. They're buying a home. So I think that that mm-hmm. that that we try to put. It, foreign buyers in a box and they're not all investors. They're not and that's what I wanted to get to because there are two types. There are the foreign Mm -hmm. people who live here and have lived here for years with green cards or otherwise. They're buying a co-op because they're buying a home. They're raising their children. They're sending kids to school, etc. And then there's the foreign buyer who is from China or Ukraine or or wherever who has money that they want to invest in the local New York City marketplace because they may move here someday, they may not, but in the meantime, they're parking money and they're making money on their investment. So there are definitely two types of foreign buyers. But again, for the most part, for the investor type of foreigner, the co-op market is just not going to fly. It's not a, it's I, not yes, a choice. I also but like to break it down, I guess, mm-hmm. more to simpler facts, mm-hmm. if we can, with co-ops, which obviously aren't simple. But... Um, I had two of my clients who were not married yet, who bought, I helped buy last year with the wonderful Leonard Seinberg. Um, they, one of them Shout is, out, Leonard. Love him. He's we great. Love we Leonard. all love him. Um, one of them was from New Zealand, and one of them was from London, and they wanted to buy in this co-op in Gramercy. And the first thing you know, I always think that once you meet the requirements of the debt-to-income ratio and the post-closing liquidity for an international buyer, I, I like to think that a co-op will be receptive to them Absolutely. as long as they have good credit, that they file their taxes, um, and that their citizenship abides by Correct. the laws of the U.S. And, and they I like think, to have assets in the U.S. often. Yes. Exactly. So like, yes. I think that, and, and if you, you know, file your taxes in the U.S. and have U.S. credit, even better. Yeah. So I think that those are like the major focal points. There are always I mean, the Deb, extenuating circumstances. I find Deb to be the co-op expert, so I'd love to get <laughs> approval from you. Well, I want to think. Well, our deal, the deal that Niall and I did a couple of years ago that we keep harkening back to, I was representing a co-op. And you had brought a, quote, foreign buyer who had a green card who was a perfect fit for the building. He was not an investor. He's still living there. It's a primary resident. And going back to Louise's point, it depends who's buying it. They don't want investors. But if you're going to live there and make it your home, sure. Let's talk about the the thing, the the, the real sticky point when when we have Mm -hmm. a co-op listing on the market. First open house, Mm -hmm. buyers come in, they're looking around, whatever. Once you get past the the square footage and the size, Mm -hmm. the second question that's asked of me all the time is, what's the sublet Sublet policy? Right. (laughs) So now there's a huge difference between condo and co-op when the sublet policy policy is uh, uh, concerned. So let's break that down for everybody out there who thinks that you can buy anything you want and rent it or or do whatever. It is not real property. It is private corporation and there are house rules. So let's talk about that. I was just going to say that often the 
the question of can the foreign buyer or should the foreign buyer buy in a co-op or a condo often comes down to what you're talking about. It comes down to, well, what, are your, what is your intended use of the property? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the first questions as a broker we ask them. And if they say, well, I don't know, I want to be here for a couple of years and then I may rent it out indefinitely – the answer usually is always, well, then you probably want to focus on a condo. Not always, though. Some co-ops actually do allow that. Oh, but, and I want to address that when Yeah, sure. But I'll say, yeah, but they, but a co-op could always change the rules. Which Not only that. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, anyway. So uh, so basically, a condo, you, like we said, you own real property, mm-hmm. and you can rent it out indefinitely. There are still some kind of rules you have to follow. You, the lease has to often be a year lease, that kind of thing, as opposed to doing a short-term rental. Um, but a co-op often has more strict rules, which may say you have to live in the place for two years before you rent it out and then even at that point you could only rent it out two of the subsequent five years so there's just a lot of rules involved they could also always change the rules at any point so generally if you want to rent out a place indefinitely a co-op probably is not the place it, right, we have to go to break we'll uh-huh. leave it there we'll come back Deb and Matt we'll get yeah. the next the, the first talk uh, this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel we are going to commercial but we'll be right back don't go away Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, segment three, and I'm here with Matt Cohen from Core Real Estate, now Lundgren from Compass, Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead Property, Phil Horgan, MrLeaseBreak.com, and Deborah Hoffman 
from Town Residential. Okay, Matt, you wanted to make a point on the I last feel like point? you're introducing Phil on like a, a dating show. MrLeeSprague.com. I'm so proud of him. I love this company. Anyway, <laughs> you're coming to court tomorrow, isn't it? Yes, or this week. Is it tomorrow? Or, yeah, the, the, 15th, tomorrow, the 15th. Tomorrow, yeah, 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 tomorrow. Yeah, okay. I have to be there. Yeah, me too. Um, He's good. So I feel left out. I think people might attack me for saying this because attack? policies are, pu- yeah, attack, like punch me. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> policies are policies in co-op and uh, co-ops and obviously, you know, um, like we said they can have meetings and change them but usually especially when we put a new listing on we give the co-op a questionnaire to answer all of our questions um but even throughout the years even if say a subletting policy is like two out of every so-and-so years, years i will even say to people but i would take it on a case-by-case basis even if there is a specific term that the co-op has released because i found that in a couple situations um either after closing or once we got board approval um the board then gave a little more color on the subletting situation and said that it really depends on what the unit owner is doing because if they just want to rented, you know, we might say no, even though the policy is this. But if they're actually have a situation where they're moving for a job or they're, you know, they're relocating for something else, you know, then of course we'll do whatever they want and what makes them happy. So I always go back to like case by case, I guess, for and, me. And I will also add to that that, you know, this is where, you know, they are I think it's important for brokers because you have a lot of listeners who are brokers that it is so important. Buyers are here today and gone tomorrow. tomorrow. Sellers are here today and gone tomorrow, but we have each other for decades. And relying on the history of, of your own individual's situation, meaning being able to pick up the phone and call Deb and say, listen, you did two deals in this building. Do you know anybody on the board? I'd like to be able to talk to this, you know, to have that access is important and that's really how we can best serve our clients um so i just wanted to give um, that little cheer it's true i, I want to go back to what um phil and matt said though um we always talk on the show about having your team together mm-hmm. you have your financial team you have your Very brokerage important. team everyone when you're purchasing and yes a board could change the sublet policies but we also have to realize that the federal government could change the banking policies and who can loan in what buildings. And many times we're having that conversation in the open house of, yes, it's this many years out of that many, but it could change. And then many times the people will say, oh, well, you know, I'd like a building that has an unlimited sublet policy. Wouldn't we and, all? Oh, yes. Not but, really, well, actually. Let's, yeah. let's talk let's about, about that. I would re- and that's <laughs> because, what I want to address. Because quite frankly, mm-hmm. I think that you also have to remember community mm-hmm. is really important. I have mm-hmm. a, an exclusive in an old building that I built many years ago in the 1990s, mm-hmm. 534 mm-hmm. Hudson Street. And I had a couple who were um, came from the printing house. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of transient rentals in the building. And they want a more boutique community and we have mm-hmm. zero sublets there. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was attractive to them. Mm-hmm. That's very, very important. But in addition, if the, a lot of new banking laws have come out since the financial downturn. And currently, if a building, there's all sorts of other things going on, meaning how big your reserve fund is and stuff like that. But if a building has more than 25 or 30% of their units sublet, mm-hmm. then a banks, banks will not lend. 
and your next door neighbor who's your best friend will not be able to sell their apartment. You will not be able to sell your mm-hmm. apartment. Or, for instance, there's a building I'm thinking of on 56th Street where an investor who was a friend of the sponsor and bought many years ago owns 56% of the apartments and just keeps renting them out. Not a good it's thing. still a co-op. Yeah. People could only pay all cash for that, yeah. meaning if you decide to sell your apartment – I had that you know, in Gramercy Park two years ago. That's yeah, right. There's that many of them. So the buildings, and again, during the financial downturn, I'm thinking a lot of these bright, shiny, beautiful condos had way too many sublets in them, and you could not get financing. Well, that, that that's another problem that we'll, we'll address. But uh, it's still happening. No, no, no. It's, it's yeah. absolutely happening. But understanding and, yeah. the philosophy mm-hmm. of your developer, your sponsor, I mean, mm-hmm. I've converted, I've done about 30 development projects. Mm-hmm. I bought in my own building at 19%. Mm-hmm. So, sold, yeah. owner-occupied. And understanding the philosophy is mm-hmm. as people move, they renovate and sell them, is important to be able to represent. Let's move on to the last point I want to make here, and that's condos are generally either new builds, brand new, ground up, or they're older buildings that are converted. And prospective buyers are willing to pay a premium for new development, whether it's a conversion or whether it's ground up brand new, because at least in my experience, and I sold a lot of new development on site as sales director, it seems like more people than not want brand new condo. And I mean, and, and I, mean I, you know, I, I say this constantly on this program. I live in a pre-war. You know, if I were watching, when I watch HGTV and House Hunters and either the husband wants the, the older style and the wife wants the modern or reverse, I'm always on the side of the person who wants the vintage or the older or the charm. So help our listeners understand out there Let's, why at a premium now at a premium buyers are right. willing to pay more money for slick shiny brand new whatever let's lighten the mood a little bit let's make this <laughs> funny so um i like to i'm going to compare this to a great personal situation i've had recently in my mm-hmm. life um one of my best friends wants to set me up with her friend. And so she, you well, know, when now. she was describing him to me, I, I said to her, It's Valentine's I, Day. It is Valentine's Day. So I think we should have <laughs> a little romantic conversation. <laughs> I, I said, I was asking her about details. What he, what is he like? Yada, yada, yada. Um, I later find out that her other very good friend already dated him. And so I said to her, so you're giving me Sloppy seconds, we call it in my generation, um, which is the, my generation a, too. Where's this going? Where's this going, so honey? Point yeah. is, Matthew, where are we going with the this? The point is, right is that I turned it down because I don't want someone's seconds. I want someone who no <laughs> one's ever seen before. So who no one's ever dated. Take it the same way in an he's apartment. He's never dated exactly before. Why he's single. Take it in the same way in an apartment where people really like something that no one's ever lived in before. They like. They don't want right, sloppy seconds. They want back. to have something. That they're the first people to live there. There's no remnants of anyone else. You know, there's no so, bad energy. There's no dust. There's no anything. And people will definitely pay a premium for that. We love wow, you. Wow, that, that was that was full circle. So let me just tell you, you know, at 498 West End Avenue, which was a 1910 building, and we literally, it's love we have it's a beautiful it's project, gorgeous, gorgeous. and we had a 40. It was yeah. 46 units. We now are 35 units. We mm-hmm. reinvented. Um, the these apartments to how we want to live today with the grandness of the old world. So it's an opportunity to really. You've done a create. lot of those, and it's yeah. such a beautiful experience. I almost bought one of those apartments. Mm-hmm. I sold it too fast, but but you know I have an envelope that's 1910 with all new systems. That's mm-hmm. what I love. How we want to live yeah. today. Well, that's what that's, my, that's so, for me. Yeah. So. 
sometimes you're pigeon held by the windows and you're and but to this is what I love. It's creating this product. And people were paying twenty five hundred dollars a foot. Yeah. And across the street they're selling for fifteen hundred dollars a yeah. foot yeah. if it's a a, a a co-op, if we're not gonna be talking about price per square foot. Well, <laughs> all right. So just to conclude, between condos and co-ops, which is better? It really is a personal decision based on all the things we talked about, you know, the first couple of segments here. Just remember though that condos are gonna generally be much more expensive than co-ops, whether they're, you know, conversions, you know, new builds, whatever. Um, that's just the way it is. And like everything else in life, it's all individual and you're going to get what you want. Moving on. Mr. X, a 23-year-old investment banker, was nearing the end of his Nolita apartment sublet and still hadn't found a new place to live. He was a bit in a time crunch, he says, so he moved to New York last September after finishing a grad program, graduate school program in Paris. In search of a downtown rental, he had gone the traditional route of pounding the pavement with brokers, but to no avail. When a friend recommended he try searching on social media, he ended up on Snapchat's Snapchat listing. This is way too much for me. A recently debuted (laughs) account in which young social media savvy agents from some of the city's leading brokerages show off. And my friend Remy was here a couple of weeks ago, and he does this all the time. Um, So anyway, he found a video of a place, and he loved it. And he made an appointment with a broker the same day because he saw what he thinks he liked. He went to see it. He signed a lease that evening. So this this applies more, I think, to rentals than it does to sales. But at the end of the day, let, let, let me ask you. So, you know... I don't think that I'm social media Snapchat. challenged, but Snapchat, I don't understand, nor do I really care to understand it, but well, I let's think, discuss that. I, I, mean, what, I, I don't think it's a standard luxury consumer experience. Right. However, I think it is an important component. Look, we, are, we know that 93% of all searches for homes happen online, and we know what the uh, uh, amount of time that individuals stay when they're visual things to look at. And for the, particularly the millennial generation, that, you know, <clears throat> checking it out and getting an instinct is how they are responding because they're major multitaskers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think that all of us have to embrace different venues, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, but I don't believe that it is the luxury consumer acquire when somebody's trying to buy a $20 million townhouse, although I have mm-hmm. sold a townhouse mm-hmm. by showing my international clients a video of yeah. it. Yeah, no, no, no. I, and I've and done similar different. things too, but Matt, yeah. let me ask you as a millennial or, or, or you know. Clearly I'm not, guys. Okay? In-house millennial. No, no, no. But, but snap, no, in-house like millennial. No, no, no. I agree, with, <laughs> I, I agree with Louise because I've done things on Instagram and things have sold or, yeah. or got interest, but Snapchat, or actually even Phil uh, on the rental site. So, so Snapchat, I mean, does this really, is this making a statement out there? I think what's making a statement is there's a new um, feature. Well, actually, probably not that new because I just look at everything in an old way. Um, there's a feature on Instagram called Instagram Stories where you can make a video that uh, disappears within 24 hours. And it's supposed to be like Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Because Snapchat's a similar um, concept. And I have to say that I think there it's very smart if instead of lately, if you can um, – you know, I'm seeing a lot of brokers who take videos of their listings or videos of apartments or videos of showings um, and walkthroughs and they put it on Instagram stories. And I think that's a really great idea because just like Louise said, brokers take videos of apartments 
and show them to buyers internationally. And the whole virtual showing that we spoke about months ago, um, you know, that concept, I think it's bringing it all together. So I think they're finally finding a way to take that, you know, one in a million chance that you just spoke about with Mr. X, again, like a dating uh, show. Um, you know, Mr. X, one in a million finding we'll have the dating on game one of these weeks. One of these weeks we'll do <laughs> the dating game. It would be well, fun. between you and your apartment. I it call is Deborah. a dating relationship. I call Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I think, it's, it. I think it's bringing that one in a million chance of sh- social media selling yeah. real estate and bringing a more actuality reality to it of it selling more real estate potentially. I was just going to say, I was going to say that I tend to have a healthy, hopefully healthy skepticism of a lot of these articles because it makes for a great, a great article, right? But I'm sure there's a few people that bust stuff off Facebook, off Instagram, off Snapchat, off every single new social media thing that comes out. I'm sure there's a few people you could find that found that apartment that way. So it's very important. It's very important. It's just like a new way to kind of connect. I still wouldn't suggest to like, you know, renters or buyers, like go to Snapchat. That's where you're going to find your next apartment, you know? So, you know, so, but it it makes for an interesting story. Um, I'm not ready yet to say Snapchat is the place to go for your next apartment. Though I've had clients who follow, say, Frederick Eklund on Instagram (laughs) and they'll say to me, did you see that post that he made from that apartment? Have you been there? Like, you know, it definitely starts up conversation. I will say that people listen, just like we follow certain celebrities, there are certain celebrities real estate agents in this town. He has happens to be one of them. So whatever he puts out there, people are going to look at. <laughs> we have to take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are coming back after these messages, so don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com As a real estate agent, driving results is everything. I once had a buyer who bought a penthouse within 48 hours of seeing it. Well, naturally, the seller was thrilled to make a deal after only one showing. A year later, I sold the same unit for a million dollars over what it sold for just one year before. When the original seller learned this, he told me how much he wished he had hired me in the beginning because he would now be a million dollars richer. So what did he do? He's hired me ever since. I'm Julie Johnson with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. I'm here with Matthew Cohen, Niall Lundgren, Louise Phillips-Forbes. 
Deborah Hoffman and Phil Hargan. So moving on, they say cash is king. So in theory, anyone who's getting a mortgage to buy an apartment will be out of luck when facing the competition of an all-cash buyer. But in reality, that's just not true. Non-contingent, but seeking financing, that's the queen, says a few agents, alluding to the scenario where a buyer agrees (laughs) to buy regardless of whether a mortgage can actually be secured. In fact, quoting Leonard Steinberg, president of Compass, many wealthy clients who can pay all cash go uh, the mortgage route. You'd be surprised to see how high-end apartments that are tied to mortgages in the city. There are a lot of them. Sean Osher, the founder of CEO of Core, points out that at the end of the day, the seller doesn't care where the money comes from. At the closing table, is going to be green somewhere. So when you are out there with our clients, and you know, I'm I'm believe it or not going to be in a in a bidding war this week with a property in Harlem because it's priced very low. There were like over 150 people, you know, went to see it open house. I, we're not going to get it. But at the end of the day, you know, that's not the norm today. But l- let's talk about you know the cash versus the financing because we've talked about this before. But in markets that are have been in transition the past 18 months or so that are now I think starting to come out of that and settle into a nice. Um, hopefully new boom, where are we with cash versus finance? Um, representing buyers in uh, neighborhoods like Harlem and Tribeca and parts of Brooklyn, um, I find that you know with the popularity, this conversation always comes up because you have to just, we, we manage expectations and a huge reality of New York City real estate is that there are a lot of all cash buyers or more so than anywhere else in the country at least, maybe LA. Um, so, the conversation has to go towards the non-contingency with your mortgage. And that's a very hard conversation to have with people, especially when they're first-time buyers. And you have to watch exactly how you say it because you don't want to basically say to them, oh, well, if you know if you don't get approved for the financing, you're going to lose your deposit. It, it's not quite that simple. I actually always like to say that if you would ever not get approved for your financing, and it's extremely hard even at that point, even with the legal writing in a contract, for the seller to take that deposit because what will then usually happen is the buyer's attorney will figure out a way to, you know, approach the seller in court and then there's a lien possibility and it, it gets it gets, you know, messy. It gets um, very messy. But but the point of it is is that you really just want to I like to explain to people that, you know, because cash is such a big thing, the seller just the whole point of a non-contingency is not to scare you. It's to the seller just wants to be assured that you're going to close. And that's all it is. And here's the thing. You're buying the apartment. Obviously, you want to close as well. So we're just trying to make a meeting of the minds. I think it's also helpful for me when you can share your own experience. I've never in five pieces of property ever had the privilege of getting a financial contingency because of competitiveness and an active. You know, Same here. And, 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 and I promise you, I certainly didn't have the money to close all cash. Um, so I think it's also how you posture it. I, we, we've also been experiencing, you know, probably a decade where anything over half five hundred um, $5 million dollars they won't even let you have a financial contingency. So that's where putting your team together and preparing and, you know, I'm I'm in a market today on a negotiations today that I was just emailing about that literally I think I can get $100,000 off of my transaction if they do no contingency. That's how powerful it can be. So 
Deb also it, it can Deborah very bring, well be, and it can make it make or break the deal, as you well know. Deborah also brings up a really good point about the banks and the restrictions that the government is putting on them lately. Um, and and a you know a big thing to just think about is that how pre-approvals these days are much more solid than they ever have been. So the banks are doing much more underwriting when it comes to the pre-approval. And what was once a ninety percent assured assurance to the person who's lending um, that they're going to be approved and get a commitment, it's now at ninety-eight percent. So I always like to say that, you know, if you can get your full out pre-approval before signing that contract that is non-contingent, you have only 2%. And especially if you're a financial person, that's a really good risk to reward. Right? Yes, but there's always there. What does come up is you have exposure to the apartment, possibly not appraising. And that is also a conversation and that we've had more that more than many times. I always tie all that in before I, as a seller's broker, before I take any offer that's really high or in the stratosphere, something that's out of the ordinary. I always call my appraiser friends. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when I list an apartment, I call my appraiser friends and say, well, what if? And of course, an appraiser can't tell you. Yeah, but you they know, can tell you not, what they would they use as their parameters. Making, exactly. Right. And that's what I was going to say. <clears throat> and usually so, we can suss that out. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. So I rarely have the fear of anything not appraising out unless it's an apartment under a million and it's funky or the line has never been on the market, but five things in the building have been and right. they're a larger line and it's kind of I find funky. there are a lot of properties today so, that for some reason, very difficult to comp, a whole host of reasons. And then yeah. another option, which we've all mm-hmm. done, I'm sure, is people get appraisal contingencies. So well, if you, can, whole you which complicates things, of course. No, but I do that instead of a, a instead mortgage of an, contingency. Right, exactly. I've been doing that for three but, years. But so many people don't even want worried. to entertain that. I, I get the, the hiccups oh. when I hear about that. It's really great. So, anyway, we have to move on oh. uh, to the next last topic. Oh. New York City often feels like a city of extremes. Last May, for instance, Central Park South Condo, uh, there was a $250 million penthouse put on the marketplace and the most expensive ever. And in the same year, a record-breaking number of homeless people People in New York City are still homeless. Much attention is paid to the people at either end of these extremes, those with inconceivable wealth and those on the brink of survival, but the vast majority of New Yorkers live somewhere in between. I know friends of mine who don't live in Manhattan ask me all the time, you know, let's define what's the so-called average person in New York, not on either side of the extreme, based on our conversation today with co-ops and condos, based on, you know, financing versus all cash, because even people in the suburbs say to me, all cash, oh my God, who's the average person? We have three minutes left of the segment. Who is the average person in New York today? Can we even define that Us. person? <laughs> Everybody, everybody's in the average I person mean, in New York. We're listen, all the same. That's the beautiful thing about New York is that it's the most one of the most diverse places in the world. And, and a land of opportunity and that, that there are so many people who have made their dreams that have, I, I'm in this negotiation that I just spoke about losing the financial contingency is this family that his company just got sold and he has been nose to the grind for a decade and he is worth millions today. And so I think that opportunistic um, environment that New York is and the mixing pot that it is, people who want to just own their home, and it can range from the half a million dollars to the $20 million and above, you know, what we what we interact with daily. 
to go off of that too, being from here and trying to figure this out my whole life of who the average person is here, um, I think I finally figured out slightly who the average person is who owns real estate in New York City. And I like to say that that average person is someone who is putting the majority of their equity and the majority of their worth into their property. It's That's the how fastest way to create none. Well, that's anywhere also. Yeah. Well, it, it is. But again, mm-hmm. I think people look at this marketplace from around the world and certainly around the suburbs here in the, in the New York metropolitan area and around the country. And, and on that say, note, happy there's balance. such extreme. <laughs> yeah, there are so many extreme situations. I mean, if you're living in Kentucky and you look at the, you know, the newspaper and you see that there is a $250 million penthouse on the market. I mean, I know I would sit back with my cup of coffee and say, holy shit, who <laughs> can, who can afford that? Over the state of right. Kentucky might be worth that. <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> Well, that was like not I was... to pick on Kentucky. This is just no, the first hey. thing that came in my head. But that's what I'm thinking about. Anywhere you look at these listings, you look at these prices, you look at these rentals. Five thousand dollars in some cases to rent a one bedroom apartment. Friends of mine own mega mansions, and their mortgage and taxes and whatever don't even yeah. come close to five thousand dollars a month. And people who are renting I was 50, standing fifty thousand a yeah. month. Yeah. Correct. They're I was so, standing in Columbus Circle right after uh, the Time Warner Building went up. Gorgeous spring day, and there was a teacher there from middle of the country someplace with his class pointing things out, and he points to the Time Warner Center, and he said, I'll bet if you bought an apartment at the top of that, it was pro- it will probably be close to a million dollars. Yeah, there you go. And I had to interrupt, and I said, I actually know how much it is. And I think it was $88 million, or Robbie Brown had just sold yes. the $88 yeah, yeah. million dollar one at All the right. time, and they fell over. All right, I'm out of time. <laughs> I'm out of time. That is our show yes. for this week. Thanks to my panel, as always. Here's hoping that you make this a great week. And I look forward to being back here next week, same place, same time. Next week, Nikki Field, superstar agent from Sotheby's International, will be here. Be kind to one another, everybody. Happy birthday, Matthew Cohen, tomorrow. And for all of us at Voice America, uh, thanks for joining us. And I will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.